freescripturebooks.org, The Knowledge of God. My name is Jeff. We're doing a study on judgments. The first judgment was an elementary teaching on judgment. It means anybody, uh, Hebrews 6, anybody with elementary level of school, elementary, simple to understand, eternal judgment, but other judgments that are more difficult to understand, that you need to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. We need to go into, into a deeper understanding than, than just elementary into judgments. And we're talking about the judgment seat of Christ. It looks like this part is turning into three parts at this point, maybe four parts. I'm lost, losing track here. But <clears throat> but let's, let's, let's move on. This is found in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33 through 37. I'm going to read the last part, then I'm going to read the beginning part. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your word you will be justified, and by your word you will be condemned. Now let's go what to let up to this thing about this judgment, about our words being you know, held against us or for us. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brought of vipers, how can you be... You being evil, speak what is good. For the mouth speaks what of what fills the heart. The good man brings out the good treasure, what is good. And the evil man brings out his evil treasure, what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they will be given accounting for in the day of judgment. Now this particular scripture is, is judgment not only for those believers who said the judgment seat of Christ, but it also for those white throne judgment, for those people that never received Christ and actually hurt people with their words. And we as Christians hurt people's words. That's why we shouldn't be careless with our words. Our words hurt more than anything else. Now, praise God, you know, as we grow in Christ, people's words can just bounce off us, you know, because we're living our life in Christ. But not everybody's there and you weren't there. I wasn't there in the beginning. But Jesus is going to judge us, you know, based... Uh, I tell you, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. So I don't want to stand before Jesus and he asked me why I stole somebody's dream, why I, you know, didn't give him grace and mercy, but instead brought judgment on them. I'm not going to lose my salvation because that's already done and, and said, you know, in, in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. I trusted his name. I trusted what he did on the cross, but I will lose reward that I was supposed to get. So, so when you use your words, first before you use your words, you know, does it doesn't need to be said. This is one of the greatest things. Oh, man. When Jesus, you know, Jesus told the disciples that they're all going to turn from him. And, and Peter, trying to be in presumptuous boldness and faith, presumptuous faith, said, I will, you know, I will never deny you. Then we find out that he denied Jesus three times. The fourth time he didn't deny him. But he denied him three times. The cock crowed. And then he went out and sorrowed. And, of course, Jesus said, go tell the disciples or go tell Peter, my disciples, I'm raised from the that I've been raised from the dead. And of course, Peter, 50 days later from denying Jesus, he stood in front of those same people and declared that they killed Jesus. And unless they repent, you know, they will not find themselves in the kingdom of God. So, <clears throat> but, and so, so doesn't need to be said. And when Jesus, you know, came, uh, came to Peter instead of rebuking Peter and says, I told you were going to deny me or being hurt says, look, you denied me three times. So what kind of bold man are you? Your little, you know, minion or whatever but instead jesus went and, and put some sugar on it and went a different direction instead of condemning him he just asked peter do you love me he was, say, he was helping peter save face and that's what we need to do when people do us wrong is there any way is there any way we can phrase it to help people save face rather than just really tie him down and, and get him in the corner and put their head in a headlock and and 
make them tell us, you know, just how awful and how evil they've been to us. Do we really want them to say that? Just how evil and awful they've been to us? Or, or can we just simply ask them, do you love me? Or what about the prodigal son? You know, the prodigal son received his inheritance early and went off to a far off land and wasted it on worldly living. And then he, and then he says, and he ended up in the pig's pen and said, this is horrible. If I go back to my father and I repent, then he'll at least take me back as a slave, if not a son. And so he had this big old repentance, this big old, I'm sorry, you know, being for being a pathetic son, you know, that he was going to give to his father. He comes back to his father. His father sees him from afar off, runs to him. And the son begins this, this speech that he rehearsed in front of the mirror, you know, and the father cuts him off. And the father says, you know, you know, tells him, hey, I, I got a ring to put on your finger, clothes to put on your back, shoes on your feet. I'm going to kill a fatted calf. The father didn't need to hear how wretched his son was. He was just glad that son had came back because he was dead, but now he's alive. And so we need to be the same thing, saving grace, saving people face. Do, do they do they need to repent? Yes. Do they need to say just how worthless, you know, junky and, and, and how horrible they were? No. They already know that in the heart or they wouldn't come back. We need to help them save face and make a place for them back in the body of Christ. Make a place for them. And of course, it can take time depending on what they did. So it doesn't mean you receive somebody back. You know, they went out and spin all you had or they did you wrong and they come back and grant some more. No, no, it's not about that. But it is about making it, keeping a place open for them. That they're not, you know, they're not physically dead. Scripture says that, that, that the father saw his son as, as dead, but now he's alive. But he was always looking for him to come back. So he saved a place for his son. Even though he gave his son his half and inheritance, he saved a place. And Jesus does that for us. God does that for us. And we need to do that. And so does it need to be said? And how can it be said when we correct somebody? Who did it benefit? There's many times I've done it to other people and people have done it to me where I said, well, you know, you know, you really, uh, I was really offended by you when you did this. And they're going, really? What did I do? And then I tell them, well, they didn't know. Now they're feeling bad. Now they're feeling, oh, I didn't need to tell them. I just wanted to get it off my chest. And sometimes I probably told them because I really want them to hurt the way I hurt. And maybe you're that way. I'm not like that way anymore. Now I really ask if somebody offends me, do I need to go to them? Because scripture does say if your brother offends you, go to him. But that's not always the case. That's only one scripture. There's other scripture says, you know, it's glory to us to overlook an offense. So I need, you know, who does it benefit? If I'm going to correct somebody, is it benefiting them or is it going to only benefit me? Now, sometimes I mean to go correct them, and I know it's not going to benefit them because they're not going to listen. So it benefits me, but I need to rebuke a brother if he continues to sin against me. But if, but if I know they're going to be hurt by it, that they didn't understand, that they were in ignorance, they didn't mean it, then I need to know before I go correct somebody and how I correct somebody, who is it benefiting? Is it making me feel justified because I'm condemning them and bringing them low and making them feel sad because of what they did? Or am I benefiting them because I'm going to them and they do need to be told what they're doing is wrong, but I'm doing it so they can do better and so they can be lifted up. I'm going there to embrace them. I'm going there to encourage them rather than, you know, rebuke them. So who does it benefit? But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. Uh, so it could have been said in a better light. Love covers. Love protects. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love protects. Does it need to be said? If somebody does something to you, do you need to go tell somebody else? If you need to save somebody's protection or you see somebody's sin, you know, they don't do anything against you, but you see something, they, they fall short of the glory of God, and you go tell somebody else. Did, did, did you really need to do that? Love protects. You need to protect somebody's reputation. 
And of course, there's some things you need to turn into the law. You know, if, if somebody's doing something that's really hurt somebody, that you, and 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 you can't confront them, and you got to go to the police. That's that's one thing. But I'm talking about things that's not involved in in one of those scenarios. I'm talking about you know some other things. Love covers. Love protects. You know, you take somebody holy man, or 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 just take, just take this. People see me as holy man. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. But anyway, I had a niece that come over here, and and then I get a, you know, and she spent some time over here. She's eleven years old, and she went home, and 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 then my sister calls me and wondering why I was watching Blue Bloods with her. I'm going, what are you talking about? And my niece had said that I've been watching Blue Bloods, which is a you know cop drama TV show, which I do watch it sometimes. But, you know, I wasn't watching what from my niece because it's a little too mature for her. But anyway, some people could have, you know, could have thought, well, he's not as holy. He's not always in the Bible. He's watching Blue Bloods. And so now they're going to somebody and telling somebody, you know, don't trust Jeff. He's, he's not completely away from the world. He's watching some secular TV. You know, that, that stuff really happens. And so, but we're supposed to protect one another's reputation, protect those who love. So we don't need to always uncover somebody. You know, uh, one of Moses, uh, Noah's son did that. Noah, after he, you know, after he got, you know, the flood came in and, and he planted a vineyard, which I call the, long, the longest premeditated sin. He had to, you know, plant a vineyard to get drunk. And it says he was drunk, he was naked in his tent. And one of his sons came in and went out and told everybody else, hey, dad's, and pops in there, he's, and he's, you know, drunk and naked. And the other two sons come in, they go backwards and cover him so they don't have to look on his nakedness. And then when Noah wakes up, he curses that son who went out there and said those horrible things about him. So even if it is true, does it need to be said? Is it going to help the person who's in that situation? Or is it going to help the person you're telling? Or are you just gossiping? We will be held accountable for things like that. Now, good thing we have repentance, and so when something like this has happened, and it has happened, if you're quick to, if you're quick to repent, then that that sin is washed away, and you're not going to be asked about it. Jesus is not going to ask you if you've ever done something like that, because you've already repented, you've already dealt with it. But anything we haven't dealt with, that we neglected, because we neglected such a great salvation, because oh, it's no big deal, and so we just kind of put it under covers. It, it will come out. Jesus said, whatever is you know hidden will be revealed in the end times. And of course, the judgment, talking about the fire of the Lord, God's consuming fire. It's going to be revealed. Every dark spot is going to be revealed in our life, no matter how well we think we hid it, or how well we thought we hot, we you know we hid it in our, in our subconscious to forget it, so we wouldn't have to go to somebody and ask and ask us to for, you know for, forgive, or and even we ask somebody to forgive us, we need to make sure it's for their benefit and not our benefit, because many times they didn't even know we did them wrong. Now, I need I need you you know to forgive me because I thought horribly of you. <laughs> Has anybody ever told you that? Well, people have told me that. I'm going, oh, man, I didn't know that. Now, what did you think horribly? Oh, it doesn't matter. Now I'm left with Satan bringing me all kinds of things about how long and why you thought horribly of me. But that doesn't need to be said. It needs to be, you know, dealt with in, the, in, in prayer and dealt with with the Lord rather than going and using careless words towards somebody. Scripture says the mouth speaks from the heart. So we better be careful. I mean, I can't. This mouth is hard to tame. The only way, way to tame this, this mouth is according to the word of God. So, so it's easier It's easier for me to keep my heart before the Lord so that my mouth, when it speaks, is speaking from a right heart, a clean heart rather than from a troubled heart. Scripture says, don't let your heart be troubled by the things that come in. And so when we have troubled heart, man, our mouth can say some things that are not just out of time, out of place, out of, wrong, out of 
just should not be said. The heart cannot defend, but only justify what it has done. Yeah, I'm not going to go too much into that, but pretty much simply is our heart can't be our defense attorney because, you know, if, if you say, why did you do that? I mean, your heart, the only heart says, I can't do it. The heart's only going to be able to say, well, this is why I did it and I had, I'm justified for doing it. Well, it's wrong for you doing that. Yeah, but your heart can only justify what it did. It can't defend what it did. It can only justify we need to have a defense attorney, which is Jesus. Jesus is our defense attorney, and he justifies us by, our, by his blood. But we can't justify what we did by the words of our mouth. What will your words say about you? So let's go on to, well, I better get going here. Almost 15 minutes is over again. Okay, so let's go on to the sixth point. Uh, Luke 12, uh, chap, uh, Luke chapter 12, verses 46 to 48. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom is entrusted much, to him also the more. I've talked about this through this, this judgment seat of Christ. To more who has been given, much is required. Um, what do we be given in the New Testament that wasn't given in the Old Testament? In the New Testament, we are born again. We're given the, the spirit of the living God inside us. And so we are acquired more back then. They were given an outer promise, an outer covenant, you know, the Ten Commandments to look upon. But we are given the Ten Commandments written upon our heart. So we're given more, so more is required. They were to, call, called to required to obey the law. How much more should we obey the law through Christ because we're given more? And so that's spiritual. But even naturally, if, if God is giving you more revelation than the next guy, then you're going, to be, you're going to be held accountable for the revelation you're given. If God has given you a 100-watt bulb and given this person over here a 40-watt bulb, that person is going to be held accountable towards what they see in 40 watts. You're going to be held accountable to what you see in 100 watts. So God, you know, to whom much is given, much is required. So, and also, what has the new world been given that the old world has not? Since, you know, Jesus died on that cross. And the old world was given the laws of, 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 of Moses. The new world, since Jesus raised from dead, was given, you know, the, the blood of Jesus. Under the old uh, uh, world... You know, they trampled the Ten Commandments and, 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 and they died by two or three witnesses by breaking the law. But on the new, new covenant or the new world, they trample on the blood of Jesus, which is even going to be a greater judgment because, it, because everybody on this side of the cross, everybody on A.D. rather than B.C. has been given Jesus. And so there's going to be a greater judgment to come upon this generation than, than the judgment that Jesus is going to come upon his generation. The judgment came upon his generation was from the blood of of uh, Abel all the way up to the blood of the happening of the temple there. But the blood that's going to come upon this world is going to be the, from the blood of, of probably Stephen, which is, the, I think, the first uh, man to die in faith, you know, for Christ to to the blood. And there's a whole lot more people that have been murdered for um, for their love for God and their and their trust in Jesus Christ and, and since Jesus than there was before Jesus. Too much is required, or too much is given, much is required. So what have you been given much? If you have more money than somebody else, more is required of you. If you've given more, you know, uh, more freedom than somebody else, more is required of you. Freedom equals responsibility. The more responsibility you have, the more freedom you have. The more freedom you have, the more responsibility you have. The more decisions you have to make. Uh, what light have you been given? I talked about, if, you know, the 40 watt light bulb and the 100 watt light bulb whatever watt that god has given you that's what you're going to be held accountable you can see a lot further and and a lot cleaner with 100 watts than you can 40 watts let's go to point seven 
James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, reading at the end of one. To one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Um, so let's talk about real quick. Uh, to one who knows what the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And this kind of really causes people to you know, shake their head. What, what does that mean? Well, it's kind of going to what I said. To whom you give much is much required. If you're giving more light than, and, and, than somebody else, somebody who has a 100-white light bulb may see, and see something that they shouldn't be doing where the person that has a 40-white light bulb doesn't see the sin because they don't see as clearly. They don't have as bright a light to see it that way. So, the, so that person with the 100-watt bulb is going to be held accountable for what they see um, just as well as a person with 40-watt light bulb is going to be held accountable for what they see. So the Bible talks about different types of sin. So let's talk about objective sin. Objective sin means there's no objections to it. It is what it is. Everybody should know it. The Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. You know, that shall not, you know, commit adultery. Thou shall not lie. Thou shall not covet. Those are objective. Everybody knows those are sins. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Thou shalt not use the Lord's God in vain. Thou shalt have not uh, keep the Sabbath. Thou shalt not um, the, and keep the Lord's name in vain. Um, thou shalt not. Uh, on your mother and father and so those are objective sins they're they're plain they're clear you can understand them the natural even if you don't understand them the spiritual you still understand on the objective that it is so but what is subjective sin subjective which means it's under subjection of the person who knows about it okay scripture says thou shalt not uh, commit adultery so a person who's not born again well i've never committed adultery paul says i've kept the law i've kept all the law but jesus says if you even look at a woman You've committed adultery in your heart. That's subject, subjective sin. So I can't say that you've committed adultery when you haven't done it naturally. But if God, you know, tells you quit looking at that woman, you know, God got me one time, and I can't believe I'm telling you this, but I took one of my friends. She was in later nineties, and we took her down to Bricktown in Oklahoma City to see this new area they had created. And we was down there. I guess there's a place called, you know, a, a called place called Hooters, and they offer you know, chicken wings, and they also have women that are fully dressed, but they're, well, dressing appropriately, I say. And I guess I was looking at one of those girls, I mean, like, yeah, I was saved. And, and the Lord and, and the Lord says, uh, you know, so I see that. And I says, oh, yeah, and so do I. I mean, just, I just, oh, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. I was... You know, I wasn't, you know, undressing her, but I was, I was looking at her in the wrong way. I wasn't looking at her as a person that God loves. I wasn't looking at her as a sister in Christ, even if she wasn't a sister in Christ. I was looking at her at, at not, a, a, you know, objectively. I wasn't looking at her as a, as a woman who has emotions, who has a family, you know. I was looking, so, it's, so that was subjective sin. It means I was sinning in my heart. Even though I didn't commit adultery, I was sinning in my heart. There's also other things. If God tells you even things that are not sin for everybody, maybe God, you know, maybe you have a weakness in an area that would lead you to that sin, so you can't do that. You can't even go close to that. And if you do, you've already committed sin in your heart. Where this person, there's no problem because it's not an objective sin. It's a subjective sin. To the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him is a sin. To him it is a sin. The penalty of of of, of objective sin, objective sin and there's a penalty of subjective sin i like to call it this you take two people you take a father who who you know who's who's a scientist 
and he takes his young son up to the roof and they put capes on and they're going to fly and so as the father knows you know the law of gravity he can work it out for you and everything else the son knows nothing about that they both jump off the roof they both come down and they twist their ankles well one of them is in both of them are in pain physical pain but only one of them is in condemnation who do you think is in condemnation? Well, the father is because he knew better. He knew the laws, gravities. He knew that was going to work out. The son just believed that they were really going to fly. And so when he came down, he, he, he has the same consequence because you don't break the law of gravity and not get hurt. And so he, so he, he was pain. He was crying out to God. The kid was crying out to God. God, why didn't you help me? Why am I hurt? The father couldn't pray that way. He was condemned for not only hurting himself, but hurting his son because he knew better. He knew the law was. Unless you have the law of lift, which supersedes the law of gravity, you can't do that. And so he knew better. So that's the difference between objective sin. is always going to be bring pain to subjective sin. Is if you know better, you know better, and you break that sin, then you're going to be in condemnation. Tell you what, there were things that I was doing that were against the Ten Commandments before I was saved. I wasn't condemned because I didn't have light on the law. I didn't have that kind of stuff. So I had the pain of it. You had the pain of it. Of what happened but i didn't have that condemnation in me but man when you come to christ and you and you and you know this is wrong you shouldn't do that but you do it anyway you can end up having that condemnation real quick there is no condemnation in christ jesus who those who walk out of the spirit but if you start walking out of the flesh you're going to have that condemnation and you're going to have to come to christ and get that stuff cleaned out so that's the difference between objective sin and subjective sin to the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it to him it is sin well, both things are sin, but, but this is the type of sin that God judges us. God judges us as subjective sin. You know, the Old Testament was the objective sin, but the New Testament, is, it's, it's the subjective sin. It means sin that we know it's sin, that we know we shouldn't do it. But if we continue to do it, we're going to be judged by those things. And there's so much I'd like to say, but we're going to have to wait for a teaching on sin that I'll do on a, on a, on a later occasion. And I use the law of gravity on that. So... We want to make sure this, this, these are some of the things that we're going to be judged on as Christians before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus will be our judge and we'll be held accountable. Uh, freescripturebooks.org, the knowledge of God, be blessed.